And thank you so much for joining us once again. It is the Nightly Pleasures Podcast, episode number 412, or season 4, episode 12. I think that's what we're supposed to say. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I am the Grey Knight. You can call me Jack if that's too much. We've got pieces today. I am the author and the host of both. Hi. It's almost the end of this season. Don't worry. It's been a weird sporadic one because of everything going on in my life and personally and all the rest, but... We will find a way to make Season 5 really, really fit in for this long, dark holiday season ahead. I've got a lot of ideas and a lot of plans, so thank you very much for that. Thank you for all of the good words and everything that you guys have been putting up and out there on social media. Uh, New followers are coming in. That's because of you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Let's get on with it. We have got that whole thing where I do an additional piece. There's a little bit of a trigger warning on this one. It's called depressed. So if you've got depression and you don't want to hear somebody talk to you about it, this is not the piece for you. For everyone else, I hope you enjoy an ASMR piece called Depression. Hey, I'm getting in. Come on, scoot up a little bit. I need to get in behind you. You don't have to say anything. I know you're awake, and I know you can hear me, and I don't know what else to say. I'm worried about you. You haven't gotten out of bed. You, you're sleeping so much, you're so lethargic, and sometimes you don't even acknowledge me when I come in the room anymore. I'm afraid that me saying that's going to make you feel worse, but I don't want to make you feel worse, I just want to talk. I just... I want to say that I see it, and maybe I haven't always handled it perfectly, but I I understand that you're in a bad place. I understand that you're not feeling good. I do. And I understand that there's nothing I can do. (laughs) And that's really hard, but I get it. This is just where you are. And it sucks to see you this way, but... I'm going to keep seeing you this way. As long as it takes. I don't care how long you need to stay in bed. I don't care how long you need to cry and then pretend that you're not crying as soon as I enter the room. If you need me to not talk to you or acknowledge you, then I guess that's what I'll fucking do. Because I know what it's like to be in a lot of pain and to just not have anybody respect it or show you. 
And I know that all of your pain is meaningful, even if I don't know what it is. And I'm not asking you to talk. You don't have to. You really don't have to say a word. Okay? You, how you are, where you are right now, it's coming through. And we don't need to do anything else. You. You. You're wonderful. And I'm almost afraid to say that because I think saying that you're wonderful also might hurt you. But you are. And you have earned every bit of what I'm telling you right now. The devotion. The wanting to be good to you. The wanting to be great to you. I'm scared. Not about you, but about all of it. And I miss the ability to just go back and forth about the day. To white-knuckle it. I miss you. And I don't say that to put any more pressure on you. Just, that's why. If you have to come up with some stupid or selfish reason why I would go through all this. It's because I... It's because I miss and I need you. And I think you're great. I'm going to let you sulk. And I'm going to let you spend your time in the dark. But I had to hug you. I had to try and squeeze your hand, and I had to try and tell you hope to see you soon. And here's hoping that that piece didn't make you too weepy or depressed or all the rest to go ahead and listen to this quote-unquote super sexy piece. This is a real-life recollection told as a story. I know you guys like that. It doesn't happen very much. But I kind of had this memory playing through my head while I had no internet. And, well, I tried to make it into a story for you guys. I hope you enjoy. And if not, remember, be nice. I'm a person with feelings. Here is a real, real story that I really hope that you enjoy. I don't think there's anything that turns you on quite as much as the way they want me. Mm. Not my body, not my mind, not my voice. <laughs> nothing, and I mean nothing, seems to get you going. Quite like knowing that there's a woman out there that would do. Anything to me that would do anything for me. <laughs> I know 
you wish it didn't. I know. I know. Because <laughs> I get to touch you. I get to see it. I get to feel the effect it has on you. Mm. And what an effect it is. Hmm. When I touch you, when I kiss you, when I hold you close, that has an effect on you, but nothing, and I mean nothing, like watching a woman want me, and you knowing that she does, even now, you're burning up, and I don't just mean your cheeks. You're insecure. Mm. You don't know how you're going to hold on to this when you want to so badly. <laughs> mm. It turns me on too. And why wouldn't it? The funniest thing is I could have this conversation with any woman, and if she wasn't dating me already, if she didn't want to be my exclusive so badly, she'd go along with every word of it. Of course it's so hot that they want you. Of course you're turned on by it. Hell, you might even want to know a little story. You might even offer yourself up. As one of those women, <laughs> amongst the population. Do you really think I've never, ever, ever said anything to a woman about other women wanting me? And her saying, I know, I'm one of them. I once turned a woman inside out. I didn't mean to, I just did. Would you like to hear? Would you like to hear the real story of how I broke a woman that I had just met and never saw again? Well, you say yes, but the problem is your pussy's doing the talking and I don't want to make you even more insecure. I don't want to make you feel even more like you're going to fade away from me. Because this is a story of use and abuse. This is a confession of a sort. And it's all true. Which turns you on so fucking much, you greedy, greedy little bitch. Mm. I told you, this is abuse and use, not just the story. Hmm. I want you to touch yourself. I suppose I could make you suck my cock while I told the story, but 
I want you to touch yourself because you always make yourself come. You can't help it. You get too close. You get to the edge. And if I turn you on, you have to. And you won't want to. You don't want to. So spread your fucking legs. Spread your fucking legs. Because I want you to rub your pussy. I want to watch you. I want to stare at it over the rims of my glasses. And I want to see it just outside of my vision as I tell you the story. The best thing about having encounters the way that I have them, the way that I've had them, the way that I want to have them again, <laughs> the best thing about it isn't the encounter you always know there's going to be another mouth, another hole, another woman. It's not about the actual sex. It's about the memory, the experience, having it, and then clinging to it. And if the experience is good enough, you come once or twice, maybe five times there, then that night. But this is a story about how I came a hundred times after. Because thinking about this woman, what I did to her, what I made her do without looking for it, without asking for it, hmm. I think about who I am sometimes. And remember, I'm exactly who turned you into this sopping, slutty little mess. Rub. Those pussy lips for me. Hmm. I have been hired. I was going to be an MC. Not quite a DJ. Just there to make sure an event happened and I would come out on stage with my microphone and keep things moving along. I was no celebrity, but I had played the venue several times before. And I hadn't noticed anything happening special there. Nothing whatsoever. I'd go in the back. I'd perform. I'd get my cash. I'd go home. Simple as that. It's a real easy job. All you have to do is announce the talent and get your ass off stage. That's it. That's it. Well, it seems that I had created a little bit of a following, which is why they kept inviting me back. What I didn't know is, one of the gals who worked there, she was developing a little crush on me. I didn't even know she existed. She wasn't high up or in management, she wasn't an owner, she wasn't a relative. She just worked there. And she liked me. And I didn't know until she tried to say hello. She tried to say hello, but she couldn't. I didn't even realize what she was doing. She was just backstage. She made eye contact me with me for just a second. And then? <laughs> she opened her mouth, closed it, and kept on walking by. She turned, she looked at me as I turned to look back at her. A bit confused with things to do. 
but you don't really get that kind of reaction from a woman unless she wants you. And I knew immediately that she did. <laughs> Another time, we talked. It was a few events later, and this time I approached her. I approached her from behind. She was talking to a female co-worker who, when she saw me approach, quickly alerted the woman that I decided to speak with. <laughs> that was a very encouraging sign, and I remember it so intently, the look in her eyes, her eyebrows raising up. I had just learned from evolutionary biology studies that raised eyebrows meant sexual attraction, not that she was to me, but she was relating, hello, the man you're sexually attracted to is approaching. At least, that's what I interpreted as. And so, I made my way in. <laughs> so I said hello. And we talked. And I just made the small talk that I'm so good at if you already want my cock inside you. Just hello, how's it going? Thought I'd say hi. What's going on? You hear about this story? Isn't that crazy? I was just reading about it. See, here's a physical prop that I have. It's a paper. Makes it very unassuming. Let's talk. Just for a little bit. And then suddenly I have to go. I know. I know, but again, I wasn't looking for anything, and at this point, I think it's just fun. Well, on a day I wasn't expecting, in what I will call my dressing room, but it was really just an oversized closet that literally had wardrobe in it, <laughs> I had a visitor. The door wasn't closed because there's no costume change for me. I came in my clothing. And, well, there she was, in my doorway. Just saying hi. I remember her saying that. Just saying hi, because what else would she be doing? And I asked her if she was saying hello to the doorway, which is just a dumb line, but the implication is come in. And to my surprise, she did. To my much greater surprise, after a few minutes of talking, when I casually closed the door while making eye contact with her, she did not seem to mind at all. I sat on the oversized vanity, the bench beneath my ass. It's not how you're supposed to sit at all, but... I felt very powerful, and she leaned on the wall opposite me, and I would catch her looking into the mirror at herself, just on occasion. We talked. This was only the second time, but she couldn't really maintain eye contact. She kept laughing and smiling. My cock grew hard. Almost immediately, I knew... I knew what this was. I never got in middle school or high school, but I knew. I'd heard stories from friends. 
this was a woman making any excuse to be around me because this was the place and time that she could. I didn't know if she had a boyfriend. I didn't really know anything about her besides the small talk that we made. But I knew she wanted me to fuck her. I knew she wanted it so badly, and I knew that I wanted to drag it out of her, because she did. Something about being in that room for several minutes with me, door closed, talking, seeing how comfortable she was, how animated, I knew that she wanted me inside her. In the stories that I tell, you have me read, it's effortless. I go over with a kiss. But this is not the kind of thing that you jerk off to a hundred times. This is not breaking someone on accident. After I knew that she wanted me, something clicked. Something turned on. My fangs grew. My jaw widened. It's hard to explain, but... I could feel the oxygen rushing in. I could feel the power increasing. And as I did, it felt really good. My cock hardened, <laughs> stiffened, got more sensitive, flicked even through the slacks. And I looked at her and she could tell something had changed. But she couldn't tell quite what. And I asked her if she thought it was okay for us to be goofing around like this on the clock. <laughs> and she was such an innocent and sweet gal that she immediately tried to say how it was okay and everything was alright and she checked and I just laughed. And then she stopped and laughed. So it's okay? I asked. And she nodded. No words. Not breaking eye contact. I said, I think that's okay too. Can I ask you something? She nods again. No words. I ask her. What's the craziest thing you've ever done on the clock and gotten paid for? And she tells me a little bit about her getting stoned, and I don't at this point, and I smile, and I enjoy it. And she asks me, and without breaking a second, I say, Masturbate. There's something about me that allows me to do that. At this point, I had dominated several women. I had learned about BDSM and how I enjoyed it. And again, I just knew that she fucking wanted me so bad, even if she didn't have any idea what she was unwrapping. But at that moment, I think she started to learn. She gulped. Her eyes were wider. She did, in fact, change tone just a little. She shifted, but she did not balk. 
And when she resumed eye contact with me again, she asked me how it was, and I said, fantastic. And then she asked me, in a true moment of bravery, if I did it more than once. And I said no, because once was good enough. But I did always want to fool around on the clock. And this is where I may have been a little too assertive, because I kind of push myself off the vanity and make my way over to her. And she does look down at the ground for a second. She does lean fully against the wall for a moment. But when I stop, about a foot and a half from her, very close, and hold that position, she did turn to look to me again. And there it was, right in her eyes. Take me. I want it. But I don't do good with just the eyes. The physical invitation isn't really a covenant for me. And so I reached out and I touched her. I put my hands very gently on her waist. And as we looked at each other swaying and shaking, that electricity that flows through your skin right before you're about to really find intimacy. <laughs> As we approached that fine line, I looked in her eyes, and I asked her, Have you ever been a whore? And the look that she gave me, not shock, not anger, a little bit of laughter, Eyes wide as you can believe. Mouth beginning to open and part, closing and parting again. And then I say it. Because if we mess around just a little, you would be. You'd be paid to be having sex. To be fucking. And I slide my hands down the front of her jeans, up and down her pants. Just soft and smooth. And she says nothing, but she doesn't look away. And eventually, her palms get placed on my sternum. And begin to press in. She moans lightly. And that is when I begin to unbuckle her jeans. Then and there, I unbuckle them facing the wrong direction. I unzip them. They're a little too tight, but I still stuff my middle finger into her panties and right into her incredibly wet pussy, she gasps, and she looks at me before closing her eyes, and her body shunts forward 
Her legs spread, her ankles twist. I remember her feet pointing out. They were faced directly ahead towards me, and then they just split like the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) The invitation was clear, even if I didn't have much, and I began to push my finger in and out of her, but it didn't take long, because it wasn't about the finger. It wasn't even about me. The fantasy was happening, and there she was, coming for me as quickly as you can imagine. I didn't let her recover. I grabbed her breast through the bra. I put a little bit of her own juices on her shirt accidentally as I did. Ah, I got her to her knees and I pulled out my cock and I pushed it into her mouth. And I said, you are such a pretty little whore. You're such a pretty little whore. You're such a pretty little whore. As I push my cock in and out, (laughs) she's there on her knees, the zipper still undone, the fly still garing open, she is there. And the cool air of that room is swimming around her recently fucking cummed pussy. And she's bobbing her head back and forth, her hair is light, and it dances and it shunts. And I'm looking at her. And I'm saying, what a pretty whore she is for me. What a pretty whore. You're such a pretty whore. Oh, you're so good at sucking that conch. Whores aren't supposed to be this pretty. You're such a pretty whore. And as I do, she just starts moaning. Her hand shuts back into her panties and she starts rubbing herself. But she's giving me, quite possibly for the first time in my life, a real hummer. Not because they're preferable to any other kind of blowjob, but because she literally cannot stop moaning at the sensation and the praise. I continue to fuck her face when she stops. When she pulls back just a little, I put my hands on the back of her head. I steady her, and I fuck her face, and I say, no, 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 you have to take it, you have to take it. Again, maybe a little too aggressive, but you did ask for a real story. I push until I come, I come inside her mouth, I don't ask. She seems to very happily swallow. And when she looks up at me and I finish gasping, my hands slick with sweat against the wall. (sighs) I tell her she really is very pretty. And this sends her over the edge. Her eyes close. She turns. She looks away. If I were capable of fucking her, I certainly would, but I wasn't. So instead, I reach down. I pull her panties down from behind, and I push into her pussy. She resists for just a second, just a second. But then she lets me enter with two fingers. I push in from behind, I wrap my left hand around her, and I hold her close in that position. And just like that, pushing two fingers in and out of her pussy while she quietly yips and yelps, 
a knock on the door comes, and we freeze, and it says five minutes, and I say thank you, because in showbiz, somebody knocks on your door and says five minutes. And so I fuck, and I fuck, and I fuck her still with my fingers, and I kiss her neck, and I say I'm going to have the best show of my goddamn life. Do you understand me? And then I ask her. I ask her if she'll be there when I get back. If she'll do her work and come back to the dressing room at the end. Just to say goodnight even though I don't have to be there. And she says, of course. I suck her juices off my fingers. We make sure that nobody catches the two of us leaving together outside the room. I go and I am seeing the entire time I think about her. I think about her. I think about her. And I get back. To an empty dressing room. In which I read my paper for about 90 minutes. Before finally being kicked out. I never had the courage to go back there. They offered me jobs, but I declined. I saved face and said I had to do something else for family reasons. And because she stood me up, because I opened her up, I'll never be able to stop thinking about her. And now... It's time for you to come from me. And here's hoping you enjoyed that piece. You've got questions. I've got answers. Data here. Hi, Data. And I was wondering, what kind of advice would you give someone that's socially awkward and doesn't pick up, like, social cues? And... What is your favorite... Okay, uh, I thought there might be a little bit more to that. So, I'm not the biggest fan of Jerry Seinfeld's comedy, but one of my favorite jokes of his is that the number one fear of Americans, or the number two fear of Americans is death, and the number one is public speaking. So, most Americans would rather be the person in the casket than the person giving the speech. I think that's a pretty good joke, and it's very true. The people who don't like public speaking or can't put themselves out in broadcast like me look at me and think that I've got some kind of magical power. We don't. <laughs> when it comes to picking up on social cues and what have you, what I would have you remember is that they're all very temporary and that it's all... It's all going to define itself in the moment and the context. In the exact same way, a story is very funny, but you usually have to be there to explain to somebody else something's not inherently funny. Something's not inherently awkward or strange. And when you look back at interactions or cues that you've missed, you're really focusing on that pain. That's why the memory seared into your brain awkwardness, the, the feeling of being judged, that's pain. It's emotional pain, and we cling on to that. Uh, just remind yourself going forward when you remember that it's 
not as bad as you think. Try to remember when somebody else did something really, really awkward. Like, really try after you've remembered something about yourself and see how difficult it is. Uh, lately, I've come across a piece of advice. Play the baseline from Seinfeld, since I mentioned earlier. Play a sitcom, like, laugh track when you remember something that you did that's awkward. And then just remember, if you're trying to make a connection and somebody else is in any way mean or cruel or dismissive, then that's on them. Okay. And the rest of the Memory question. Memory with your little kitten. <laughs> My favorite. Wow, that's really emotionally uh, on the edges there, Data. What, you, what advice do you have for the socially awkward in a time where people are feeling the need to connect and lonely and also kitty cat memories? Uh, kitty cat these days, it's getting fairly cool again at night, uh, curls up next to me and we play cards together. Uh, I ask her what I should do sometimes and she, you know, she doesn't open her eyes, but she does have some advice. She'll go, rawr, rawr, rawr. and you might not understand that, but I know exactly what she wants me to do. So we'll, we'll, we'll watch a TV show or, or play some cards, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll pet her. Uh, that happens most nights and I, I like it very, very much. Thank you, Data. Hi, Jack. It's Cece. Hello, Happy Cece. October. Thank you. This is also what, National Beer Drinking Month? Is it? And our seasons are changing. Fall is here for some of us and for our Aussie friends are going into spring <laughs> and... I know the LOTK collectively we sigh, ah, <laughs> new season type of thing. Um, all the ladies last month, we were talking about um, our love for the spice scented candles and flavored drinks, uh, the different kinds of coffees and teas. And during this time of year, I was just wondering, are there any special brews of teas or beer blends that you like to drink? And uh, as far as teas go, no. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty year-round tea guy. And it's mostly green tea these days. Uh, but I spice it throughout the year. So I'll put cloves and honey and, and cinnamon and ginger and turmeric, uh, and uh, not all at once, obviously. I've got a whole tea shelf, and then I put various uh, things in. I don't really. I don't really spice tea any differently uh, in the fall. I would just just to try and give you a better answer than that. Uh, I make a lot more soups. I make a lot more stuff in my crock pot starting in the fall. Uh, that's that that's that's what gets my palate going. As far as beer, seasonal beer, uh, that's really more of a Christmas thing for me. It's not really more of a fall thing. Sometimes. Around this time of year, uh, there will be special apricot versions of beer right around now. And I absolutely love apricot beer. It's not my label, but every time I see it and I'm in a good place, uh, there's, a, there's a brand of beer called Pyramid. I don't even know if they're still in business. I hope so. And they've got an apricot beer. Uh, I just love it. And if you don't like beer, but you like like a hard cider or something, Try 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 an apricot beer. You uh you'll like it a whole lot, I think. From that, this is also uh the season for the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> and we all know that you're more than enough night for your girls, collectively known as the ladies of the night. But have you ever attended any one of these fairs? <laughs> and what exactly is your take on them? So I went to a Renaissance Fair and I met somebody with a name and I made them show me their ID. 
and people still don't believe this, but her name was Gerlinda, and I met her at a Ren Fair, and that's what, as soon as I think Ren Fair, that's what I immediately go to. The other thing is, this is a joke I made a long time ago, so please keep in mind that I'm a little bit, oh, you know what, fuck it. This is a joke I made like 10, no, 12 years ago, maybe even longer. I was flirting with a dark-skinned girl, a self-described brown girl. Uh, and she was a big old nerd just like me. And so just like Gerlinda, the second thing that comes up is just out of nowhere because she was very attractive. Uh, she just started sending pictures over of herself in Renfair uh, clothing. And I asked her like, you know, about it because it seemed pretty, it seemed pretty intricate. And she just went into this whole spiel about like the 1200s and all that. And I'm like, I've evolved just one more time. This is a long time ago. I've grown. I've changed. But I did say at the time, I didn't know black people were invented back then. And that's the other big memory that comes to me about Ren Fairs. So that's what I that's what I think about. Um, I know a lot of people who have done the Ren Fair circuit for money, who have worked the Ren Fair circuit. And it sounds like it's nothing but beer, uh, meth, and... <laughs> It kind of seems like it's summer camp, you know, the counselor's tent in summer camp, uh, but times five. And that's not my scene, but it kind of sounded like a lot of fun. I'm surprised no one's ever really made a movie about them yet. There's a couple that are like on the edge. There's role models, which if you like, if you think it's funny when children are bad, bad people, like when they say like, hey, fuck you, man, like when it's like a little tot saying it. Role Models has one of the best foul-mouthed children in cinematic history. <laughs> and that kind of deals with Ren Fair. There was a little indie comedy that nobody watched about a decade ago. That kind of went into the Ren Fair thing, although Role Models is more Amp Guard. Yes, I know what Amp Guard is, and no, I won't give you any more information about it. Uh, yeah, I think that's nerdy enough. I think I put enough panties back on. That's all I have for you today, honey. That's all I have for you, you too, Cece. Thank you for everything that you do for us. You're very we sweet. love you. Thank, oh. Thank you. Goodness. Hey, Jack. It's Edie. Hi, Edie. Uh, just a random question. Okay. If you were going to get a dog, what kind of dog would you get? A mutt. I get a mutt from the pound. And here's why. If you get a pure breed dog, you have to care for it. But if you get a mutt, you, they're disposable. There's just going to be more mutts. So it's a great training dog. Now that I've made enough people again. This is what happens if you say you love me. This is where I go. As soon as a woman says she loves me, this is who I become. Just warning you. Uh, the other thing about dogs from the pound is if you name them inmate number whatever, nobody stops you. What's their name? Inmate number 17. Nobody stops you. And the dog knows that you sprung them, Right? Like, here's a great thing that a lot of people don't know about pound dogs. And you, most places these days, if you adopt a, a dog from the pound, you know, they very much want to make sure that that dog doesn't cost additional money or, 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 or take anything else away from the, uh, the animal control budget. So generally speaking these days, if you buy uh, a, a dog, they'll have some kind of in-house animal control for really cheap uh, uh, spay and neutering and, and uh, you know, uh, shots and boosters and all that. You know, just things to, to, to help. Uh, it really, it's just really good financial preventative aid, right, for these animals. Uh, 
And then, like, if you do that, you'll take the you'll take the dog that you get from the pound back two, three times, right, over a couple of months. And like, there's a little side entrance for the vet and everything, but like, you you don't have to take them through the side entrance. You can just take that dog all the way back through doggy death row and be all like, "See what happens if you keep pissing on the carpet." See what happens? Do you know why your name is inmate number 18? Do you think I skipped some steps? Because I didn't. Everyone's like, how do you get such a well-behaved dog? And the answer is, I buy him. Okay, so now that I said all... See, this is what happens if you say you love me. I will fight you. I will become something else. I don't know what it is. Uh, hopefully there is at least some aghast laughter in that. And if not, I'm smiling. <laughs> So, do you have a favorite after-sex snack? What? If you're hungry after you've been going at it for a while. I absolutely do not. Uh, ice cool crisp water. But no, in fact, after I have sex, I'm pretty receptive to everything. And these days, I imagine whatever the woman wanted to grub hub in, I would be pretty down with. I think the thing that I'm really going to want right after I come is a good hard vape. I hate that, but just like cigarettes, it's the same kind of sensation. I think right after I come down, like within that next 10 minutes or something, like, baby, just let me have a vape. Get off me. <laughs> Get off me. I've already covered your nipples in a dome of effervescent sweat. <laughs> I'll snuggle you in a second. In, in 20 to 30 minutes from now, I'm going to want to snuggle you more than ever. Let me go do it. Um, yeah, that's it. I think. Thank you, Aidy. Bye. Bye. Hey, you, Jack. I have some questions for this week's podcast Let's from do a few it. of the ladies. Uh, so, first set of questions are from Anonymous. Okay. Number one. Always nervous. Do you prefer morning, afternoon, or nighttime sex? <laughs> uh, I actually, uh, I'm pretty down with daytime sex. Like, I don't prefer it, but. I'm not in any way adverse, and you just, you gotta make that known, because some women, that's just a no-go, baby! Some women just have a night-timer on that kind of thing. There's something about, like, oh, there's no direct sunlight. Now I am alluring. Number two. Do you, or have you journaled? Do you like it? I'm gonna, like, like writing stuff down in a journal? That's not really my style. No. No, I've tried it. It's not really for me. I'm much more of a jazz musician that doesn't know jazz or how to play a musical instrument. Number three, what is your favorite thing about doing commission work? Uh, make people happy. Sometimes somebody will write me something six months or like a year later and be like, I just listened to it again. That's really nice. That's pretty nice. Uh, yeah. Next question is from Ringed Dragon, oh, a.k.a. Lee. Oh, hi, Lee. There are different kinds of makers, and you are, of course, a maker of stories. Ah. Is there a particular craft beyond your own that you especially admire or find yourself drawn to? So I talked uh, about creatives pretty recently on the podcast, and... That, that general blanket term, I am drawn to creatives. And one of the great benefits to being me, however dense and insulated I can be in my, in my thinking and my ideas, is that I 
do truly just see people. And when I have met somebody from Japan who's an artist, I didn't see a Japanese person. I didn't put Japanese cultural framework on them in the same way that I might if they were a Japanese businessman, right? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not free of any kind of bias or information. But when I meet somebody who expresses themselves, I, I latch on to that. That's who they are. When, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. I, I'm a huge believer in this. I'm, I, I, I'm a huge believer in that sentence. And when it comes to people who from other places in the world just show you who they are by making something, that's who they become to me. And that's who they are. Uh, and, and it becomes very easy to show that off. So I'm very drawn to creatives. I'm very drawn to people who make things and who struggle with defining themselves by the things they make or not. That's that's a very that's almost all the women I've dated fall into that category. They were all poets. They were all and I mean like published poets and I mean like published authors and I mean like ha- have a deal musicians and I uh, 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 th- or aspirations towards these things or could play multiple musical instruments and sing and 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 uh no, there has to be there has to be something, uh, and and just real quick now that I'm thinking about it in retrospect, that that has often been the key that's elevated. Like we're having fun, and I enjoy your body and what you let me do to it, uh, and let's let's go to the next level. I'm off. I'm realizing now, saying this out loud, the the I want to take this someplace else often comes as oh, you can do that. Oh, I didn't know that. And finally, a question from Lola. Any advice for someone struggling with self-worth and low self-esteem? Oh, no. Well, hopefully the uh, little piece at the beginning of this podcast helped a little bit with that, as, uh, as conceited as that is to say. But that is that was the intention. That's what it was made for. And what I want to encourage right now is that everyone right now in my life, in my social circle, 100%, including me, is struggling with senses of self-worth, sense of productivity, sense of identity. Well, not me on identity, because I was always a loser on the range, baby. Okay, so that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it about me. Um, but let's, but let me, let me, since I navel gazed, let me, let's go ahead and pick at that belly button lint real quick. Um, I have been fortunate that I have never married myself to a degree or an institution or a way of thinking even really for too long. I have let myself be adrift. And that is paying dividends right now because everybody's saying it's a time of transition, it's a time of transition, and it is, but not for me. And it won't really be. This is kind of the way that I've lived for some time now. And I I intentionally built my own 
system so that it could survive any kind of outside storms. I tried to build an arc, an economic career arc with the Nightly Pleasures podcast and what I'm doing here and my talents and my skill sets and all the rest. And it's been, I've called it many times, a terrible education and a horrible validation. I really wish I hadn't been as right about things as I was at the beginning of this year as I am sitting here now. But sitting here now, in my arc, not going through the same questions of identity, allow me to say what I see. Because I'm seeing so many people question people in medicine who have de- who dedicated themselves to medicine, who are wondering what it's all about, if this is who they're going to be for a prolonged period of time when people are suffering. I see teachers and educators just losing their minds, and I was really going to be one of them. I was really going to be a teacher. Really. I had my heart set on it for a while. Life got in the way, but when I was much younger... I thought I'd be a fantastic teacher. And if I had gone down that route, the emotional pain that I would be feeling right now, schism within me, I can only imagine. I'm watching professionals, I'm watching people of all ages in all decades of life question and contort themselves, and just beg for relief. I hear in so many women a plea for relief. Just let this stop. (laughs) That's my perspective on my little isolated platform watching the rest of you try and make do. The truth of the matter is that without some semblance of knowing what the future holds and believing in it, you're never going to feel 100%, probably. Most people can't. The mind must travel, and the mind must travel towards the future. It is inclined to look forward at least some of the time. So if you're experiencing a major event, or if you're looking at a shifting in your life while all this is going on, you are so allowed to have feelings of self-doubt and misery. Now, let me just take a real quick sub-detour and say, maybe this has nothing to do with what's going on in the world. That seems very unlikely, but let's just say. As somebody who has struggled his whole life with feelings of self-worth, self-dignity, self-doubt, anxiety, all the rest of it. I wish there was a magic bullet. I wish I could give you some advice you haven't heard a million times before. Sometimes I think, you know, when my most bitter days, wouldn't it be fun to become like a Keith Raniere, like a sex cultist, and just be all like, of course I have the answer. I have mastered myself, and I can give it to you. All you have to do is come to me and give your pussy in $10,000. Make out that check to The Great Night. That's The Great Night with an E. Don't spell it with an A. That's a scammer. Uh, right? It's tempting. It really kind of is. I would never do it. But it's a fun fantasy to imagine, like, the bizarro Jack, who's gone just totally evil. You guys know Red Star, Red Sun, 
Probably not. That's a deep comic book reference. There's a version of Superman where Superman lands in Russia <laughs> during the during the Soviet Union. <laughs> it's kind of like fun imagining that. Like, what if I actually went there? It's kind of a fun what if. And it's a fun what if because people want to believe, especially if they like you, if they respect you, if they enjoy you, that you have the answer. That you have something that they don't. I don't. I don't. One more time. I don't have anything that you don't. Not a goddamn thing. I got better through therapy, which I had to scrimp and save for. I had to take low-rent therapy. I had to drive across town for it in a shitty fucking car. I had to get kicked and moved frequently because I was at the bottom of a of a mutual aid society shrink and if the person before or after was having an overdose i didn't get therapy that week or that month uh that was hard most people can't manage to go to a therapist it's real hard to have a therapist say hey i gotta put you second again sorry sorry chief that's really discouraging but i took the lump and i kept going and i failed that's my third therapist that I'm describing right there. I washed out of that one. Some therapists I graduated from, but not all. Some I just failed. But then I tried again <laughs> with a different therapist. Then I tried again with a different girlfriend. Then I tried again with a different career. Then I tried again with a different attempt to meditate. And I'm still so, 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 so far from where I want to be especially vis-a-vis the way that I treat others when I'm irritated with them, the things that come out of my mouth. They're too harsh for others. I was <laughs> submerged in the goddamn river sticks, and I forget that sometimes. I really do. So I'm very much not holding myself up as an example, except in the way that you like it when others do what I say, what I just said. You like that story. You like the story of the beat-up car and the discount therapy and the getting shunted and then going back. And if you turn that from mental health into batting practice, and I had to ride my bike to go to batting practice to play baseball because I knew I wanted to play baseball, but they said, you can't, you're fat and asthmatic, but I rode my bike and I went and they let me be a bat boy and they cut me from training and they were mean to me in the locker room, and then, uh, but I became a baseball player, right? It's the same story. Though, not, not for my sake, I wish my story... Not mine in particular, but the story of overcoming mental illness or overcoming capitalism in America or, or, or just overcoming difficulty, real human difficulty and complex emotion was celebrated as much as this person became a, a famous athlete. But again, you like and you admire and you enjoy people so you think they might have an answer and their story becomes more valuable. So if you like and you enjoy this, and you must if you've gotten this far in this rambling, crazy, shifting answer that I did not intend to give for this long, nearly this long,
depression, self-doubt, the agonizing narrative that you might have in your head that plays out over and over again, I implore you to simply wrestle with it. My advice to you is to continue to keep challenging it for yourself, for the people you love, for potential futures that you can't imagine yet. If nothing else, you can't imagine the futures that you might have. You couldn't see this year coming. No, nobody saw this year coming five years ago when they're asking, where do you see yourself in five years? Nobody got the answer right at the tail end of 2015. Not a single person. Even us arc makers didn't get it quite right. <laughs> so open yourself to the possibility. Open yourself to the thought that your pain is in the past. Your pain is in the past. See, I got that wrong. Your pain was in the past. Your pain is as much as you're allowing it in, which as somebody who went through a lot of pain when they didn't have a choice as a childhood, I, 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 don't, I don't like saying that either. But that's the only control I have, is to say that the things that were inflicted on me were inflicted on me, past tense. I've gotten really personal. I've gotten really emotional here. I'm I'm very concerned about this. I uh, I wasn't quite prepared for this topic, and I've I've been researching it, and, and, and <laughs> I I got more to say about this later, uh, especially as the dark uh, months in the northern hemisphere <laughs> approach. Um, but but to to end this on a very personal, very human note. There is a true jeopardy uh, in people right now feeling more inclined to give ultimate solutions to temporary problems. And I very much want to be on my best behavior. I very much want to be on a showman footing and schedule just to offer any kind of reprieve from that. If you think that that's nice of me, if you think that's a good goal that you know I'm not going to hit, but I'm going to try, if you think that's good of me, I implore you to give it to yourself as well. <laughs> give yourself those kinds of advantages over these next months, over this next possible year. Yeah, dark and scary as that might be. The patience, the security, the openness, all of that that you can loan yourself right now, over the next month, over the next hundred days, if you can do it now, you know you'll be able to give more of that to yourself and to others later. So... To summate that horrible, rambling answer, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of identity issues. There's a lot of self-doubt. Divorces are spiking. Suicides are spiking. 
overdoses are spiking. I won't pretend otherwise, and I won't look away. But just as I sometimes say, you're strong enough, and you are, I want to right now say, you're good enough. You're good enough. Get through it. Give yourself grace. Give yourself patience. Give yourself time. The only person who's going to give yourself any kind of real forbearance on all the issues that are going on right now is you. You can hope other people are going to give it to you, but you can always give it to yourself. And little secret, kiddos, the more you give to yourself, the more that just kind of shows up. Wish it weren't, but it were. So, from the bottom of my heart, with all of that dreariness, with that maelstrom approaching, I want you to keep going. I want you to give yourself every single day, every time, every time you catch yourself. This is a fight, and it's a long one. Every time you catch yourself being truly anxious to the point of desperation, negative to the point that you're harming yourself, doubtful to the point that you know it is destructive to yourself and possibly those around you, challenge it and stop it. Take a step back, take a breath, remind yourself. This is difficult. Don't sign up for this for the rest of your life. Pick a day. Pick a week. And then do it every single time that day or that week. That's how. That's my advice to you. That's If I could turn every woman into a goddamn Amazon, guess what? I couldn't. They already are. I would just make them fucking realize it. That's a pretty good outro. So thank you very much for listening. I got very personal there. I got very emotional. Um... I don't know what else to say besides this is something I've struggled with and, and been open with since pretty early on in the podcast. Um, even in my darkest days, I'm in a much better place now. But I have a lot of empathy and a lot of feelings about it. So if you are, if you are going through feelings of despair, I, I'm using that word because the terminology we're using these days, I guess, for, for collective overdoses suicides, uh, all the rest, I guess the term we're using is death of despair. If you're in any way feeling despair, I wish I could take that on or I could say, DM me, I can't. I don't have the time or the emotional energy. That would be totally insincere of me to do. But I implore you to reach out to someone and to and to acknowledge those feelings, to say it's okay to have them, to find a way to express them. You are not what you're feeling right now. You are not what you're going through right now. And there are times ahead that you cannot imagine. I say that as the greatest cynic. What kind of cynic says that there are things that are glorious ahead that he cannot imagine? This one. Won't you listen to him? Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. See you real soon.